0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bloom Booster Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Q. Gross, Houston, and I'm coming to you from the San Francisco Bay Area. Thank you so much for joining me today for our first Bloom Booster Podcast episode. The Bloom Booster Podcast is going to be a cannabis culture and business podcast that looks at and focuses on giving you information and tools and techniques and tips that you can use to grow your brand or your business or your social media following, whatever it is. We're looking to give you tips from the people that are out there in the cannabis industry, building brands, building their company, building their podcast or YouTube or whatever it may be. And today it's a podcast because we are interviewing heavy days the host and creator of the podcast podcast. This is a great interview. We dive into uh, Heavy Days' backstory, which is great because he dives into the stories of so many other people, and now we get to get his backstory. And then we also get a lot of really great advice in uh, building a podcast and building an audience. So let's uh, go to the interview. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bloom Booster podcast. I've got um, a really exciting guest today, which is Heavy Days from the podcast. Welcome, Heavy Days. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Sam
0: today we're going to talk about I'm gonna I'm excited because I get the chance to ask um, you some questions and you're such a good podcast interview and interview and podcaster because you ask such great questions for your show the podcast So could you kind of firstly before I kind of fawn on you too much can you kind of give a little bit of a quick introduction for who you are and how people might know you today.
1: Uh, Oh thank you so much for the kind words my friend. Um, In terms of how I would introduce myself hopefully as humbly as possible but I would say that as you mentioned host of the podcast which I like to think is an alright podcast. um, I also dabble with some genetics which I've been doing that probably actually a little before I started the podcast but it's not something I try to harp on about too much because i think there's a there's a lot of people who play around with genetics um and then the other place you might know me from is maybe if you're a kind of a more active person in the australian scene like i've contributed a lot of written articles to various platforms over the years so i'm always surprised when i have someone come up to me and they'll rather than mention some of the things i've previously mentioned like the podcast or my breeding they'll be like oh, i read one of your articles a while back on something and that's that's always that's lovely. cool have that. Yeah. So that's me.
0: Nice. So to start off with, let's dive into a little bit of the backstory for your passion for weed, because you you spend a lot of time, like you just said, you spend a lot of time doing stuff with cannabis. Um. So how did that start?
1: Um. So how did it all start? Well, I mean, the first time I smoked weed was in the backyard with my brother. I was... I think I was in grade seven, so quite young. Um, but for Australia, I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. and Even uh, in
0: America, I would say that's kind of your teenage years is pretty common.
1: Yeah, right. And so I remember that and I, I I enjoyed it. I don't think I got that high the first time. It kind of took a few times to really solidify the passion. And I just remember having this one particular experience, which always kind of has remained in my mind of where me and two friends we were out in kind of like this kind of woodsy foresty type area near my house and it was the first time I ever had like better quality bud. It certainly wasn't good by today's standards but compared to what we normally got much better and I just remember looking at my friend and looking behind him and, and being like really stoned and, and thinking that the background behind him with like all these trees and it was a really nice kind of foresty thing thinking it was like a green screen and just being like that's not real that's a green screen (laughs) okay yeah and I just it's always stuck with me and I'm just like man this is like psychedelic if nothing else so yeah that that was the kind of thing which locked me into it all and then I just think as I got older I I progressed and I I you know I've, I've dabbled with other things but none of them really struck a chord with me the way cannabis did. And I quickly realized that, you know, alcohol and um, some of the more recreational party drugs, uh, they just weren't really my thing. Like I, you know, there's a time and a place, I guess. But for me, like I'm more than happy just to smoke some weed and to not really dabble too much with alcohol or anything like that. So I think that kind of proclivity just kind of solidified that cannabis was always going to be a more central focus in my life, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and so so that's that that makes total sense. Did you do you kind of do you find that um, you said earlier with kind of that hallucination or at least like you know is messing with your senses? Is that something that you kind of tend to gravitate more today in terms of like that experience with cannabis, um, the types of cannabis that you t- like to enjoy? I'm kind of curious if that was like initial experience is what kind of tapped into something that's stayed with you yeah
1: most certainly um i in in australia the the diversity of cannabis was rather low so it was very much a what you get is what you get type of thing you know like beggars can't be choosers and so the majority of what you would find commercially if you weren't involved or friends with a grower would just be like your, your very standard like beasters type of thing so, it was indica dominant, you know, not nothing stands okay. out. But that stuff yeah. I had that one time, it that was different and that was better. And I think it always instilled in me this kind of yearning for that more kind of psychedelic and what I now realize to be just like that more sativa type of thing. Yeah. And so, it's funny you mention that because, yeah, to this day, um, my favorite thing is sativas. And there was a period where I couldn't touch sativas because I was actually had probably, probably the best part of three years where I actually had some fairly bad anxiety and I don't say that as like a a sympathy thing because I understand a lot of people go through periods with anxiety but for me in that period if I had sativas it would very much aggravate that anxiety but after I came out of that and was kind of on the up and up I developed this very 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 deep appreciation for sativas because um, I I actually like being stimulated like I'm I'm a coffee fiend and um, I very much enjoy the productivity it brings but it was hard to find sativas, you know. So when I, when I could handle them and when I was growing so I could like produce them myself so there was access at that point, that was where my heart went. And uh, yeah, I've always been fond of that more psychedelic, more kind of hallucinogenic type of weed because I think that, yeah, a lot of people are not familiar with that or how enjoyable it can be. And just as a quick caveat, I understand some people like in my story uh, don't handle it too well, you know that's all good. I, I certainly wouldn't push it on anyone. But for me, it's it's certainly where I go to if I have the choice.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I personally have anxiety. And I found and that's actually what initially turned me off to cannabis, or at least made me stop doing it um, at, at a period of my life. But now, um, kind of, you know, how I use it today, I actually find it nice, because it helps push you a little bit it helps you push your boundaries basically and it helps you by increasing all your senses and all these other things it helps you kind of explore these different aspects maybe some of these fears or anxieties that you do have so it's 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 interesting to me to hear that that it's a experiential thing that kind of hooked you and you're you're kind of always uh, kind of chasing that not chasing in a bad way but like it's something that is kind of always kept with you. Um I was curious, um, earlier you said you started growing and that helped kind of build out uh your I guess your what you're able to consume and and this weed that's available to you. Is that what got you into growing initially? Was like, hey man, I need to get some better stuff and this is how I can make that happen.
1: Yeah, okay. So that's a that's a brilliant question. I think that the thing which got me started was I had a friend come over my house one day and I should rewind rewind actually. I knew about the dark net markets for ages, you know, Silk Road and Alpha Bay and all those things. And basically, I dabbled with them in like 2010 when I was a fair bit younger and then just kind of stopped using them. And I just kind of forgot about it in essence. And then one day a friend came over and he was like, oh man, I've got this weed from the darknet market, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, yeah, it's it's imported from America. And I was like, oh, okay. My ears kind of flicked up, and we tried it. It was Granddaddy Purple. That's what he said it was. And in retrospect, it definitely wasn't Granddaddy Purple, but <laughs> but okay. without without question, it was something best. different. Yeah, well, it, it was it was very green for one, and it didn't taste like Granddaddy Purple. Now that I've been able to have tried it. Um, But basically, it was by far like it was like what you would have called like kind, bud, you know, it was fucking good stuff. And so I just had this revelation in that moment. I was like, wow, this is possible. Like I'd always looked at the photos in high times and thought, yeah, that must be good or like, you know, whatever magazine we're talking about. But I'd never tried it, so I guess I'd always just written it off in my mind, being like, "Yeah, it looks good, but it's probably not that much different to the beasters." I get again, not knowing that like I was getting beasters, but I knew that the stuff I was getting was kind of subpar. So yeah, it was kind of like this uh, awakening moment where I was like, "Wow, this is possible!" Like you can, excuse me, you can you can get stuff that is just truly supreme compared to the the swag that we're normally smoking. So when I tried that. I then remember I made a few purchases from that same seller tried a few different things and one thing I did try from that guy which I'm confident was the real deal because he also sold some Jack Herra some Girl Scout Cookies and some Purple Kush all of it was not what the name said except I'm pretty confident that Purple Kush was the the kind of more well-known Purple Kush that goes around in the states it all came from the United States and so yeah that really sparked it for me it was just like Wow, this is this is totally unlike any of the weed I've ever had, and it was like so much better. So yeah, that that started it all. I was kind of like, yeah, this is possible. Maybe I should give this a whack.
0: And so, um, is that what? So you're you're getting into growing at this point? Is that what? What took you from that spot? to where you are at, at some point you started to develop what I would call is almost like a Wikipedia type knowledge of these stories and kind of genealogy of all these different strains. And that's one of the, I think, great values of your show is you've collected all this information in your mind or, or some wherever else, maybe you have an awesome way to of notes or whatever that you keep, but you, you've collected all this awesome knowledge that you share and you again also collect through your interviews on your show how did you collect all that knowledge did that start before you started the podcast or was that something that i'm kind of curious the backstory there and then we'll kind of get into the podcast itself but i'm curious how you developed that knowledge or at least you you developed the interest and then you started kind of amassing all this information
1: Yeah, oh, you're very observant my friend i like that so um what happened was I definitely had just a general curiosity. So I was digging through the forums, digging through all the places I could find information and and there wasn't really a way to verify anything. So it was mostly a case of like if I saw that there was stories aligning from different people or like from various different sources and they kind of had similar but slightly different accounts of things, I'd be like, all right, that, that seems like there could be something to that. And then... I began to write some articles on the Australian cannabis subreddit. And some of them were just my political musings about cannabis in Australia and how we could, you know, progress it. But others were these articles I wrote called strain histories. And it was just trying to set some truth to some of the more well-known strains, and it's funny because I look back in retrospect and most of them are riddled with inaccuracies, but you know i mean i was kind of doing the i was dealing with the information i had at the time (laughs) yeah you know what i mean i try to cut myself a bit of slack but i remember i wrote one about og kush and it's just so fucking incorrect like (laughs) my apologies to anyone who reads
0: that but um (laughs) it's cool though that there's like a collect it's almost like a I don't know what you want to call it, like a time capsule, at least, because this is like a the storytelling of what used to happen, just like stories kind of passed around through people. Y- you know, you've kind of seen this all collected on the internet, right? Where in the in the past it would just be through conversations, and now you're kind of collecting all this information and doing the the homework to kind of assess out what's actually legit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I think kind of as you said, is a bit, a bit of a compilation of things. And the one thing I always Try to be humble about is that i'm i'm very fortunate i didn't do anything to deserve it so there's nothing to be proud of but i do have a really really good memory um some people would say it's photographic i'd say it's almost photographic not quite photographic but that's been very helpful in terms of you know when people talk about things i'm often able to be oh yeah you know i remember reading something about that so that that has undoubtedly played its role as well
0: so Okay. So you were kind of just, you were spending this time on the, these various forums and websites and on Reddit and kind of collecting this information. And so what led you then to take that step and to start the podcast and uh, yeah, what, what was the, what made you go, I need to do this thing. And and I'm going to be the guy that creates the podcast, not just that, like you probably were, at some point you wanted a podcast, that was like the one that you're, you're making, but what made you go, I need to be the one that makes it.
1: Yeah. Great question. I think that there was a few motivating factors. The first one was that I enjoyed many of the podcasts that were out at the time. Um, most notably this was back in the day when weed nerd podcast had a lot bigger following and it was probably in fact at its kind of peak, Um, I also really enjoyed and and still to this day, really enjoy the Adam Dunn show. And so I really, really loved these podcasts, but there was primarily two things that I felt like they were missing. The first one was that I felt like they were catered to your more beginner or kind of entry level grower. And the way I define that was like when they would say terms that I thought were, you know, somewhat simplistic, like we'll say like a back cross, Okay whenever they would mention the term backcross, they would pause the show and explain what a backcross was. And I was kind of like... I know what a back cross is. Like let's let's keep talking. Like let's let's get to the <laughs> yeah. nitty gritty of it all. So I the I think the primary driver for starting the show was I thought to myself, I want to start a cannabis podcast that's not aimed at beginners. It's not gonna stop and explain what terms mean. It's on you to know what they mean or to pause the show. And I wanted to target the show to be a more advanced show where we would talk about more advanced concepts and not be babying the listener and explaining them and I and I fully acknowledge that having these entry level shows is necessary and they have their place and you could never have a more advanced show without the necessary ones but I just felt like it was a vacuum and I couldn't point to a single podcast that I felt was targeting the more advanced growers so I felt like there was a bit of a niche to be filled in that space and then the other thing was I really wanted to, I would sit there and watch these episodes, you know, I'd watch the uh, the Adam Dunn's interview with Bodie, the the original interview Bodie did and I really loved that episode and I would be sitting there going, oh yeah, I just want to ask him this question now based on what he said and they would ask something different and that's understandable, you know, it's down to the personality and the mindset of the interviewer but I just had this urge where it's like, oh, but I want to follow up on something he just said and like it, it would never get followed up so... I kind of just wanted to ask these questions myself and I just needed an avenue to do so because I thought I can't, it's not, it's not reasonable to just be able to sit someone down for like an hour or two and just drill them with questions. It would just feel like an interrogation unless we made it into something like a podcast. So I think that was kind of the initial motivations to do so.
0: <laughs> you needed the like context and excuse <laughs> to yeah. get all this information. <laughs> it was all for me.
1: I just wanted to ask the questions I wanted to know.
0: <laughs> so, um, and you you ask a brilliant questions. So, what goes into that process of, of asking? Because you you ask very particular questions. You're great at you know setting stories straight or, or whatever. Um, so there's obvious a, a process. There's obviously a process that goes into the creation of each and, and every one of those shows. How much time do you spend? Um you know, preparing for these interviews with these breeders?
1: Uh, yeah. Another really good question. I I definitely need to set the record straight because I have some people who aren't clear. Yeah, I definitely pre prepare a lot of the questions. So it's certainly not just all on the off fly. the cuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, depending on the guest, there'll be certain things that are obviously going to be like kind of centerpieces or focal points of discussion so you would start off by just jotting down those things but I tend to do a good amount of research into each guest in terms of I'll go through all the various forums find if there have been any questions that seem particularly good that have never really found an answer and I'll essentially do my research like that or I'll find a little tidbit story from someone which says, you know, they had an interaction with someone years back and this is what the person said to them or whatever. And and those can often end up being the really good ones because the interviewee will kind of be like, what, where'd you hear that? Like, as in like, I didn't expect you to pull that one out. And then you hear this kind of cool story from way back or something like that. So definitely pre-prepare a lot of the questions. But the way I find you get the best interviews is, I try to do a mixture. So like I'll have a pre-prepared question and I'll ask it and then I'll sit there and I'll really like try to focus on actively listening to the answer and then generating one, two, maybe three additional questions that are on the fly based off their answer. Because obviously I couldn't pre-prepare because I don't know what they're going to say and reply to the first question. So yeah, it's a mixture of pre-planned as well as on the fly. And hopefully I can pick up on any little details in their first response that might you know, kind of open the door to the further story. And so I do that. And then the next thing I try to do is I always try to make the show flow well. So I'll look for something they've mentioned in their answer and I'll look for another question I've got, which maybe has. So let's just say, for example, I asked Duke Diamond a question. In his answer, he mentions the word Affy. And then I look through my questions as he's wrapping up that answer and I see that I've got a question about Affy. So then I can be right. like, I'm all right, cool. Speaking about that, you know, I've got this question for you about Af- about Afghan strains, you know, and, and I found that that would give things a, a kind of logical or it seemed like they flowed a bit better. Bit better. So that would be kind of right. my two primary tips for people slash what I do.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, because I, otherwise, it's just going to look like the random collection of questions that you prepared beforehand. You yeah. know what I mean? And it might be in before it might be in an order that maybe makes sense or something like that, but it might not fit into the natural flow of the conversation. That's a good point. Um, so when you started out the podcast, um, how did you have like a name that people knew you, like in terms of, because uh, where I'm going with this is, you, you know, you had to book some of these first interviews. You had to have someone to interview. or And so how did you get those people on board did you hit them up and just be like dude you hit them up with the pitch or did they already know you did you have a name that you could kind of lean on a little bit to give you credibility to get these guys on the phone so to speak how did that go
1: yeah that's a a really good story and one that's probably fundamental to where I got to where I was so it's going to sound like I'm about to throw some shade but I've actually spoken to these people in this story about it so they're not going to get too upset about it. But basically, when I first started the show, uh, when I first envisioned the concept of the show, I did exactly what you said. I started reaching out to people and seeing if they wanted to come on. And what I immediately found was that if you don't have an episode under your belt to be able to show people what they're signing up for, they're extremely reluctant to do so. So I remember I contacted Swerve from the CaliCon, not really knowing as much about him at the time as I do now. And he initially said yes, and I was very excited. And so he was going to be the first episode and this was six months before the first episode ever actually came out so swerve was going to do it and then after one or two emails back and forth he went quiet on me in uh, in today's terminology he ghosted me and so thanks swerve And
0: so when was this uh like i guess 2016 yeah or... i think i think
1: yeah january 2016 around then okay and then nice. i also reached out to mr soul <laughs> and I same experience had a few emails back and forth. And then he asked, um, you know, do I work for like a professional publication or a professional journalist magazine or anything? And I was like, no, it's just I'm just an amateur. I'm, I'm just, just
0: a rando dude. <laughs> yeah. And so
1: lo and behold, got ghosted by Mr. Soul um but anyone who's familiar with the show knows that I'm I'm now friends with Rick and he's been on the show so obviously we've we've been all good about that and and I I didn't I didn't take it too much to heart but it showed that yeah it, it's hard to get people on the show so I kind of actually put the show in the back of my mind for a minute it was kind of on the back burner and I was just doing my thing and lo and behold I because of the Mr Soul interview I'd started to prepare some questions cuz I thought it was going to go ahead and I noticed that he had he'd had this new partner Duke Diamond join the scene. And so I'd started to take an interest in him and I'd always just had just questions here and there on Instagram and I just I just ask them in the comments um, of Duke's posts like just oh you know I see excuse me sorry. Uh, I'd just say something like oh you know I, I see that you're working with the uh, 88 Yeah and you'd like G-13 yeah, it wasn't about the interview at all. It, it was just a single genuine question yeah. I had. And yeah, I was that's like, what I yeah. mean.
0: You're like adding value to the conversation on his post and that probably made you stand out, right?
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. So eventually I asked him and no, sorry, he replied to me one day and was like, you ask good questions. And so then I inboxed him and I was just like, hey, man, I've been thinking about doing this show. Is there any chance you'd be willing? And he said, yes. And I was blown away because I was starting to realize who this figure was in the scene. Um, it hadn't fully dawned on me just yet, um, as well as the fact that, you know, it was someone who was willing to come on the show. So that that was extremely exciting. And so that was very much the uh, the platform for doing it all. And I, I still remember doing the first ever episode, recording it with him. And we, we probably ended up spending... About three and a half hours doing the interview, but then we stayed on Skype for probably another two and a half hours, just just chatting shit. That's
0: awesome. And
1: yeah, I realized in that moment that I had found someone I, I really related to, and it was the start of a very special relationship.
0: That's really cool, man. That's really cool to hear. Um, so that's a really cool. So you, 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 I, I've learned something from that uh, story. That, or at least I've. I've observed the same thing, which is that um, creating credibility in this space, in the cannabis industry, I think it obviously it depends on uh, the part of the industry, but I've noticed, uh, especially at least in the grower community, building credibility and at least uh, building trust with people, because this is a, a market that a lot of these folks are in areas where it may not be safe or they're coming from... Uh, a past that may have been in the illicit market or whatever, and so building trust with people is really important and I've just uh, um has that been something that you've kind of noticed as well that you needed to kind of really build that up up front or or how do, how have you um seen that in your experience
1: yeah a hundred percent i I have always said this openly although I don't know if you can find it recorded anywhere but I I fully attribute my success to Duke Diamond and that initial kind of vouch that he gave because that was very much like he was saying, you know, I trust this guy. I'm going to give him my time. And in fact, at the end of the first interview, he was, you know, I was so grateful. You know, I was so, 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 so grateful. But he was surprisingly like, man, this was really fun. I had a good time. This is a cool format. I think this show's going to be good. And I was obviously very surprised to hear that. And so he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do your solid and I'm going to try to help you out where I can. And so the next morning, I remember I woke up and I checked Instagram and I had an inbox from Skunk VA and I'd never talked to him at the time. That's badass.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and he really was like not involved in the scene in the way he was now. He was kind of a bit more on the shadows and this very mysterious figure who everyone wanted to know, but he was kind of a bit more withdrawn from IG and whatnot. And so he just messaged me and he just said, hey, I – uh." I was told I should message you and I was just like, holy shit, Duke has set me up so hard here. So, I then organized an interview with him and he was the second interview and in my opinion, having those two big names under my belt really gave me the momentum and in kind of, I've always said momentum but it's exactly what you've said. It's given me that trust in terms of people could look at the catalog of work and although it was only two episodes, it was two episodes with two rather big name people And so they felt like, you know, people have already vouched for this, you know, there's a trust here. Right. And so, yeah, to me, I I really don't think I could have got to where where I am now without having that initial trust or that kind of momentum that those two interview gave me. Because when I could approach other people in the future and say, hey, would you like to come on the show? These are some of the people who have been on already. Here's a link, take a listen, see what you think. It was huge, you know, and I have no doubt that some people probably said yes purely because they looked at the people who had been on the show and probably didn't even listen to the episodes. And were like, all right, cool. I know these guys, they're my homies. They've said, yes, it must be all right. So I think that was how it happened for me.
0: That's awesome. Um, so you've got these, um, did you, sorry. So had you launched the show, um, by the time you had interviewed skunk or VA or, um, did you kind of pre-record those shows and then when you launched the the podcast you you know you had those lined up I'm gonna get in I want to get into a little bit of how you launched the show um, and how you got the word out
1: yeah of course so I had just finished editing the Duke episode when I had was doing like recording the skunk interview so when I first started the show at the the editing process and the post-production process was very clunky because I I really did everything myself. I've got a background in audio production, so I knew how to do everything audio wise, but I just didn't, I hadn't streamlined anything yet. Yeah, and you so didn't episode, have that workflow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And episodes were taking a very long time. Like I would probably spend about 12 hours in post-production just to get a three-hour episode ready. And thankfully, I've been able to cut that down. But to answer your question specifically, I had finished, and I believe I had just uploaded the Duke episode when I had was just starting to work on the skunk v a episode so okay. so like I didn't really have a surplus of episodes per se, and I was just doing it as it came and for the right. first year of the show, I'll be honest, I really wasn't like. I didn't, I didn't really realize that people enjoyed it the way they did. I just thought that people were being nice and just kind of, you know, like a pat on the back. Good job, dude. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't really realize people were into it in the way that they are. So like, A, I'm super grateful for that. But B, it, I didn't have the same forethought I kind of try to have now in that, you know, like trying to really uh, line up guests in advance and get like a proper schedule to the show. So it was kind of a bit more carefree lackadaisical at the start because i was just like yeah let's just ride this train and see where it goes
0: yeah totally i can totally (laughs) get that i and i honestly i think that's not a bad idea or at least a way to approach it i think um particularly with podcasts or any sort of like content commitments i think people um they tend to it's easy to get discouraged in multiple ways right because there's like a shit ton of work that goes into it like you just said you had to spend all this time just to put out one podcast and that can be really discouraging but i also think it's a good way it's good to just like throw yourself into it and put a couple things out there and just see what see what sticks because getting that reaction and basically you know failing fast um, and just seeing if this is even a good fucking idea to begin with is it's a good it's a good way to at least just get some feedback and see if it's uh, a good idea that other people are going to be into I think
1: yeah definitely and sometimes you can do it and you're a bit wondering like you know are people even going to enjoy this like am I am I confusing something that I'm involved in for something that's actually interesting because it can be easy to do that you know like to, to think that oh, you know, this is no one's going to enjoy right. this. I'm just doing it because I'm a part of it. But generally speaking, I think if your heart's in the right place, it'll it'll translate across to be something that people will enjoy.
0: So um, you've got that first show. Um, how did you build that momentum? You said that you had that momentum in terms of credibility and booking guests. But how did you build the momentum and get the word out with those first um few episodes how did um you know ultimately we'll get to where you are today but in the beginning you know you're just a a rando that happened to land a interview i say this lovingly (laughs) you're a random guy (laughs) that you know landed an interview with duke and you put it out there so i imagine duke helped you promote it um how did you get the word out
1: yeah of course i I remember I put, I posted the, the show up on my personal Instagram as in like the heavy days one. And I had a few friends message me being like, this is a cool podcast, dude. And like not knowing that it was me, the host, just thinking that I just, because I remember when I posted yeah, it cool. up, I was like, hey, take a listen to this. If you want to find out some stuff about strain history. And I didn't specifically say like, hey, this is my show or I'm the host or anything like that. I was just like, check it out. So I think people thought like I just found a podcast and was kind of like, yeah, it's cool.
0: That's cool. That's funny. So,
1: and and obviously, uh, a lot of the people on the Instagram weren't familiar with my voice because there was no other like video out there with my voice on it. So it is kind of understandable why they didn't know it was me. They didn't have a reference for my voice. And so I remember talking to a few friends being like, yeah, this is, that's actually me talking. And they're like, fuck off. No way. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And so then I was really grateful to have a lot of friends kind of reposting it and that helped, but it was when Duke reposted it himself being like, Hey guys, this is a show I just did. I had a good time. Check it out. Um, I remember looking at the SoundCloud analytics and just seeing like the listener count just blow the hell up. So it goes without saying, you know, having a kind of an authority within the field, help out, promote your your gig whatever it is it, it's it's undeniable how beneficial it is so it was a big part of that and i actually i frequently look at the analytics of the show because i'm very interested in statistics and basically the show was doing well and i also skunk va was nice enough to repost um when you know when his episode went up and i think most of the guests have done something did like he that, have a following
0: is... at that point because you were saying that he wasn't really in the scene so, did he, yeah, yeah. did he have so a following?
1: He had a following, but not in terms of raw numbers. Like, if you looked at his follower count on Instagram, it wasn't anywhere near as high as it is now. I think when I first started talking to him, he had about five to 7,000 followers compared to now, okay, where he's got so probably it was about... something. Yeah, but I remember what was interesting was that there's a huge collection of really diehard cannabis fans within our community. And so, while they don't represent a huge percentage of like numbers, they're very active. And so, I could see that although maybe only a thousand people had listened to this episode, some of those people had gone and posted it on a whole bunch of different forums. And SoundCloud Analytics is really cool, and it shows you where the episodes have been posted. Like, it tells you the exact link, so you can click oh, on it, cool. and then it'll, yeah, it'll take you to that forum post, and you can read that someone's been like, "Oh, hey, I just listened to this. It's really cool. Take a listen." So that was the other thing. So I think, yeah, the, the main factors were having the guests repost the show. And I think that was contingent on them feeling like they had a good time and feeling like the end product was of good quality. And then the other thing was having a, a pretty um, committed or loyal viewer base who would then further go and post the show on all the various different forums, which is going to help reach a whole... Because the thing with cannabis is there's some people who are on... I see mag who just don't go on instagram at all so you've got to reach them otherwise they'll never hear about it
0: that's an interesting point um so jumping off of that how did you um build that uh initial audience and find those people that are going to share that you know a- into those communities share your content into that community because one of the things that's tricky as a content creator as someone that's participating in someone else's community, like the ICMAG community, sometimes they're not really cool with people self-promoting their shit, right? Or, or Reddit's a great example, actually. You can't go onto most subreddits and post your content. So how did you get the word out and how did you make that leap from SoundCloud or wherever, IG, to those forums?
1: Yeah, I, at the time, I was a very self-conscious person in regards to the show. And so I certainly didn't want to even go and post the show much at all. I think the one place I posted it was in the Australian cannabis subreddit. And I think it was more so just kind of be like, you know, we can be here isolated on this Island where there's right. shit weed and not a lot going on and you can still make an impact even, even on the bigger level. So yeah, I didn't post it a lot. Um, I think that, it was really lucky that people weren't posting the show in like an advertising manner, but it was really good in that people, what I often found was that it would get posted in threads about a breeder and not a thread about the show. So there would be a thread about Duke Diamond and they would be talking about a certain question. And and these people in the thread had no idea about my show and someone would chime in and post a link to the show and be like oh at around the 30 minute mark of this interview he actually answers the question you guys are talking about so it was always in that context of like here's the answer you're looking for as opposed to being like hey everyone go check out this show which would kind of be a more blatant form of advertisement
0: did your audience um do that for you because i could see if you wanted to pre-plan that You know, earlier you said you did all this research, so you could have collected these basically these like open questions that you answered in your podcast. And then after the show is out, you could go out to all those different places and say, hey, guys, I answered this question. Listen to the show here. Did you see that or did it you just serendipitously had an audience that kind of did that work for you?
1: Yeah, I was really lucky and that I did have the audience who did the work for me and that's
0: cool. I feel
1: yeah, I just feel like it would have been a little less authentic if I had done kind of the former option like I I just hate like blatant forms of marketing and that's why you rarely hear me talk about like my own breeding on the show unless it's like extremely relevant to the question we're talking about just because I just feel like people find things to be more kind of endearing if they naturally stumble across them as opposed to me kind of like trying to... Pushing it. Yeah, like kind of push it on them in a way. But, you know, and and, and if someone out there has ever done anything like that, man, I'm not trying to throw any shade. It's just that just wasn't my style. Yeah, it's not your vibe.
0: Yeah, I hear, I hear you. Um, so how did you, in those early days, um, did you find that building an audience, you know... To do that you were spending you needed to spend more time you know just landing awesome interviews and just pumping out an awesome podcast which you you're great at doing um but or did you also have to do some other things as well to really build and you know create that momentum on the listener side of things
1: yeah i think it was a bit of both i i remembered realizing very early on that guest selection in the early days especially was going to be one of the most critical parts of the show. Like I I needed to select the right guests. I'd always been very mindful that I didn't want to select guests who had, I don't want to say controversy, but I didn't want to select a guest where it could turn out like a month or two later that there was like egg on their face. And then all of a sudden the interview is now very poorly received or something like that. So, I wanted to make sure where I'd pick breeders where I was confident that they were, you know, good people in real life. It's unlikely that something's going to come out, that, which you know, makes the episode seem, you know, a bit of a faux pas or something like that. So, in yeah, the guest interview selection process was very um, much a focal point, but I also very much had to focus on improving aspects of the show to make it more accessible to the viewer. And I go back and I listen to the very first episode with Duke and. I'm constantly interrupting him, which I, I, you know, I it's like nails on a chalkboard because I uh, this is something which might help people. When I started the show, I had I only had two rules in mind that I I focused and I always say to people who talk to me about starting their own show, I say you should write some rules down about like what you want the show to be and how you want to get there. And my two things I wrote down were really quite simple. I said one. I'm never going to interrupt the guest. I, like that's a hundred percent a rule. Like even if they're talking shit and I want them to shut up, I'm not going to, like, that's my fault. I asked the wrong question because it elicited the wrong answer. So I'm never going to interrupt no matter what. And then the other thing was, I'm never going to explain a term. You know, if people want to know what a term means, they can pause the show, they can go Google it. That's how I learned. Um, and those were just the two foundational rules I made. And I think that Even though they seem quite small, they very much steered the show in a certain direction. So I had to think about things like that and like what would make it a more viewer friendly experience. And with time, things like cutting out the amounts of ums and ahs and just trying to make things a little less clunky and a little less kind of robotic in terms of segues and just getting the flow. And I think that that's been really helpful. Even in my personal life, I've noticed that my communication abilities have. Are a lot better nowadays and people will often like in my work environment i've got to i've got to talk to people a lot and people say you know like oh you've got this really kind of calm demeanor and i'm like in the back of my mind it's like yeah i uh, had to work on that but um but yeah so there was definitely a bunch of things that i had to work on to try to improve the listenability of the show shall we shall we say
0: okay um now you're making me think i've just been interrupting this guy for the last 40 minutes um no but that's an interesting point though because it gets into the kind of chosen style of your show because um you know interrupting and in an interview might be better in a particular style of show maybe but for the specific purpose of your show it's great, right, in terms of not interrupting, right, because you just want to get their story and get their information, set the record straight. You're, again, you're just like, you're amassing this, um, these amazing spoken stories of um, cannabis culture, basically. And um, you're just kind of like letting people tell their story, let them say it in their words.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that You know, As a flip side, just to to show that I don't think you've been interrupting, in a more conversational context, I feel like you've got to kind of, not interrupt, but there's got to be like an interplay of thoughts and ideas like what's been happening here. Whereas sometimes people talk about like, oh, you know, it just feels like they're having a conversation when they're talking about the podcast. Yeah, sure, we are having a conversation, but it's also definitively an interview, so that's why it's you know it's a bit of a different context and so
0: i think it's um but you're getting into the purpose basically you have to think with purpose right where if you were getting in if you were creating a podcast that was more conversational let's say like the adam dunn show right where you're kind of maybe um or maybe the dude Grow show or something like that where they're typically kind of discussing news and kind of just riffing off of each other interrupting each other is fine but for your show again like kind of Collecting this information and sharing that with the community, which was what the goal and the purpose of the show was, it really fits uh, the format that you've crafted for it.
1: Yeah, I I would agree, man, and I I think that each show has its own kind of niche and its own thing that it excels at. And I'll be honest, sometimes because uh, it used to happen a lot more in the early days, like people would come on my Instagram, as in the podcast one. And they would just bag out the Adam Dunn show. And it really frustrated me because I don't feel that way at all about the Adam Dunn show. I still tune in every Saturday where I can. And people would always try to compare us. And I just always had this mindset of like, like we're, we're such different shows. Like I get how superficially it might seem like we're both cannabis shows. And so you could make a comparison, but they're, they're so different. Like, I mean, the fact that the Adam Dunn show is live just totally changes the way it's the context, you know, there's this, as Bodhi put it, there's kind of this chaotic energy to anything that's live, you know, because there's an unpredictability. You know, will the technology fail? Or will the guests be on time? Will their audio quality be good? And so, I always viewed them as very different. And the most important fact I always try to remind people was, was without the Adam Dunn show, I never would have had the inspiration or the motivation to start my show. So, yeah, just as a little side note, I, I always got frustrated at that. And, you know, um, to kind of change topics a little bit, like I, I love the Dude Grow show, you know, it's 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 again a different style of format. It's kind of like the uh, the Good Morning America of cannabis. <laughs> and I, I yeah. always, yeah, I love the effort that Scotty and the dude put into making that work. So yeah it's about honing your own thing and finding what works for you and um you know it doesn't nothing you don't have to reinvent the wheel like if you want to start a show as a listener who wants to do something where you decide you're not going to interrupt the guest that's fine you're not stepping on my toes you know you there can be overlapping and congruency between shows but yeah you just got to find what works for you and what's going to kind of connect with your audience
0: yeah um Actually, it's funny. I'm friends with the guys at the Grow show and um, as a listener of their show and kind of having my own sort of frustration, so to speak, like you were saying earlier, I wish I I wish they asked this question or whatever, or I wish they had these people on their show. That's actually what led to the creation of this podcast series is I was like, I want to talk to people about this stuff. So um, yeah, it's funny, Uh, somewhat similar to what you were saying earlier. Um, so so you built your audience um by um you know creating this great content, people are sharing it out there. Um you are creating a resource basically. Um that and that's one of the great things on the internet in general, I would say, like as a pro tip to anyone who's trying to create um like an online presence, so to speak, creating content that is a resource for people. Um, with information or data or whatever the thing is, in your case, it's, um, you know, collecting these stories and this lineage and whatnot, that is instantly shareable. And it's going to be a lot more shareable than than maybe some other things. Like if you're trying to tell jokes, like your jokes need to be really fucking good or no one's going to share it. But if you create something that's really useful, people are going to share that.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think it, it adds volumes to the longevity of the content as well as if it's got actual relevance in the long term as opposed to just kind of being a more topical type of thing. And that's something I've tried to keep in mind is, you know, like it's great to have topical questions, but in a year from now, when someone's listening back and they're listening to, oh, you know, we've seen a lot of drama around such and such at the moment, you right. know, like there's no, there's not a lot of longevity to that sort of content and it's, it doesn't have a lot of playback ability so yeah i think that you want to make stuff which does kind of have yeah like the ability for you to step back into it, age uh, or into the future and still feel like it's relevant and it's adding substance or it's answering a question
0: um so you um the last thing that i thought we could uh, dive into which i think is really interesting is um the patreon so at some point um you know, you'd, you'd launched the podcast and at some point you decided to to make the leap to launch a Patreon and you've been doing that for how long? And I, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about how you've approached that, because um, that's another thing that I think uh, listeners um, is something that they should think about in terms of. Um, building a community that can you can monetize by them directly supporting you rather than strictly being reliant on um, advertising or other business models. So, how, yeah, how did you start this this Patreon um, community that you have for you?
1: Yeah, of course. So. I didn't make any money off the show for the first year that it ran in any regard. We had sponsors, but they weren't paying me. They were literally just my friends' companies who were involved in the counter scene. And I was like, you know what? I'm happy to plug you guys at the start. You know, it's not really any skin off my back. Yeah. So for for the first year I ran the show just totally um, you know, not being compensated in any form. And it was a labor of love in its truest form. After a year, I made the decision to start a Patreon because uh, the first, at the end of the first year of the show, I went over to the States and I was able to do some content over there, but um, it didn't really work out as well as I thought in that like, I was able to do, I think, two interviews when I was over there, but I really wanted to do some video content. And then it turns out like the video camera I took over there just had done like a really shitty job in terms of the video quality. And then I also realized that, it wasn't logistically possible for me to videotape and record the audio and be the host and asking the questions all at the same time, especially if we were, say, walking through someone's grow room, like, you've got to be focusing.
0: Yeah, you need a crew (laughs) at that point.
1: Yeah. And so I realized, like, I need to get some better gear or have another person with me. So that was the initial motivation to start it. I was like, you know what, I just want to use this Money to funnel towards doing better gear to improve the quality of the show. And so that was primarily what it was used for. And I was really grateful that people supported it because I remember the first day I launched the Patreon, I was very like, I was kind of a bit apprehensive and I was worried like for some reason there might be some sort of backlash or something, which in retrospect was a silly concern because it's like, what could someone be upset about? Especially if people knew how much time and effort goes into developing the show, like it's not, not that unreasonable, but I always had this mindset of, I never wanted to set a hard paywall around content. I just wanted it to be like, Hey, if you like the show and you want to see it continue, here's this avenue in which you can support it. But at the same time, if, if you don't have the, you know, the financial ability to support the show at this point in time, that's fine. You don't, you know, like you're not going to be penalized. Um, right. And, I basically made the decision that any exclusive content I made for the Patreon, I would eventually release it to the public. So again, kind of just in line with that premise of not putting anything behind a hard paywall. And there are a few things that have been on the Patreon for some time that are still just Patreon exclusives. And that's primarily because I want to have some stuff that is still just a Patreon exclusive. Um, But it was surprising. Like, the amount of times, the, the, this is probably the only thing I'll say, which is like, you know, I might end up regretting a bit, but like the amount of times I get inboxes from people being like, oh man, I'm, I'm the biggest fan ever. I've listened to all the episodes five, six times. It's been like a month since the last episodes come out. I'm, I'm Jones. And for a new episode, man, like when's it coming out? My first immediate response is, there's more episodes. They're just on the Patreon. You just like, you know, you're saying okay. you're the biggest fan on earth, but you haven't even like looked at the Patreon. So uh that's the short answer. So yeah, it's interesting that um you know, some people aren't aware that there is more content on the Patreon, so that's the first thing I'd say. Is having that excess or surplus of content is helpful because people will eventually burn through it all. And we'll be requesting more content depending on how quick your output is. My output has always tried to be uh, one episode a month just purely because I've, I've got a lot of real life stuff going on, which just kind of makes it harder for me to do a little more than that. And then on top of that, the the post-production time is quite consuming. So, you know, I'd be, I'd be spending a good chunk of time doing the show if I was trying to pump out, say, two or three episodes a month. But yeah, having the Patreon's great because it provides a space where people can also ask questions to me to get asked in future interviews. So often we'll have people chiming in on the Patreon being like, hey, uh, I've always had this question for such and such guests. I have a feeling they're coming up in the future, or you've mentioned that they're coming up in the future. If you could ask this question, that would be fantastic. And again, that's another really good avenue to get questions from. And I feel like that the the kind of the community it's promoted around it has been really good like the the guys in there often talk to each other as if there's kind of like this camaraderie which you know I'm really grateful for because the show has gone from being something which was designed to just help me get some new gear I've now I've now thankfully got like a really nice mic and some other things which helped me record the show and it's now actually moved into more of a Helping me to, you know, pay my overheads in real life, um, which, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not hesitant to say, you know, like this, That's this awesome. show helps me to, yeah, pay the daily grind things because, um, in case people weren't aware, like I'm, I'm still a student, so you know, like finances are somewhat limited at times, so it can be very helpful and it, and it makes me appreciate people all the more, and I try to let them know that like this is helping me to literally keep the lights on, so you know, I, I, really, truly appreciate all the support we get. And I feel like they feel a little more better about what they're supporting me because, you know, they know that it's not just like play money. Like it, it's, it's very much literally helping the show to keep happening.
0: That's cool. I want a couple of notes that I, from your, um, what you just said there, um, you made a comment about how frequent you do the podcast or how often you release it. And I think when you're a content creator, um, the frequency of how, how often you release that content. And essentially like even down to the days, do you release it on a particular day? You know, those are always conversations or at least things that are often kind of considered. Do you think that you, um, how did you kind of, I guess, go against the inertia that typically, if you only release something once a month, people are gonna fucking forget about it, you know? And so it's really hard to build momentum and build an audience around um, a YouTube or a blog or anything, uh, let alone a podcast that only comes out once a month. Um, How did you kind of get over that uh, challenge? Or was that a challenge that you even noticed?
1: Yeah, great question. I think when I first started it was it was still about every 4 weeks, you know, technically a little quicker than a month, like 28 days versus 31 or whatever. But um I I hear what you're saying. I think that there was probably two or three things that contributed to that. The reason why I was able to get away with it was because a it was such a long podcast that people would often have to listen to it in chunks, so they weren't just blasting through it in one 3-hour session. I know right. that some people certainly do. But I hear people who say that, you know, it would take them three or four days to work their way through it, maybe just when they're driving around. So I think that added to it in that it, it took a, a little while to get through it. I think that it, it had a high degree of replayability in that I listen to the episodes now and I'm constantly picking up on new things that I missed in the moment. And when it is the case that you've got three hours of just pure content, you can often go back, listen to it again, pick up on something new. And so it's got a high degree of replayability. Like you can listen to it many times and still find it to be interesting. So I think that was a big help. And then I think the final thing was that, um, people found the guests to be entertaining. So there was a want, like, I mean, to this day, my favorite episode is has always, and probably will always be the the second episode ever, the skunk VA episode, because, in a lot of interviews, I'm asking a lot of questions, but from my perspective in that interview, he was telling a story and he was telling his life story and he's a phenomenal storyteller. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about how the art of storytelling is a bit lost these days. And I tend to agree a little bit, but not with that guy, man, he's a phenomenal storyteller. And so I just sit back and listen to that story and I could listen to it all day on repeat. Like it's just got so many things in it. So I think that those were the three aspects.
0: Yeah, man, I, I, uh, maybe this is like nerdy or something, but I, I wish, um, people at dispensaries listen to your show because, um, it's so frustrating to go into dispensaries. You know, I live in California and so, you know, this is, supposed, you know, it's supposed to be the biggest market in the world for weed, and you go into dispensaries, and people don't know shit about the weed, they just know it's dank or whatever. And so you go in there. And it was really funny, actually, when the Mac um, started showing up in dispensaries around here, and started hearing, like the dispensary workers trying to tell the story behind the Mac, and they're just completely bastardizing it. Um, But I, I find myself um, just wanting to kind of tell these people like, dude, this is so cool that you have Blueberry and whatever and want to kind of share their stories. I wish people in the industry knew these backstories, these really amazing stories behind the original Chemdog, you know, for example. Or uh, all those things are just amazing stories and nuggets that you, you pull out of your show.
1: Yeah, thanks, dude. I mean, it's certainly all, all the guests who brings all that insight. But yeah, I know what you mean, man. And the first time I was in the States and... Was it a dispensary? I had an eerily similar experience where I was in Colorado and I was like, show me your best weed. And they brought me down this thing of Girl Scout cookies and it, it looked amazing. It smelled pretty good. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, what cut kind of Girl Scout cookies is this? Yeah. And the guy just looks at me and goes, uh, it's the, uh, the Durban Poison Cross OG Kush cut. And I'm just like, cool, cool, dude um you know and it was just like admittedly you know I'm not your standard australian but in my mind I'm just like cool the australian tourist knows like more than you about right. this shit like that's that's a bit of an indictment
0: yeah i, I um i have that experience and um where i'm coming from is um It's getting to a point now where I'm starting, you know, you go to Emerald Cup, right? I've I've gone to Emerald Cup as well. And you get to build relationships with um, some of these growers. And so when I go to the dispensaries, I know some of the growers on their menu. I say to the dispenser, you know, the folks that work there, I'm like, hey, man, that's like the actual legit cut you know, I make that, I'll make that sort of comment, like, just so you know, like, that's a legit cut of blah, blah, blah. And I kind of try to tell them a little bit of story, hoping that they'll, they'll pass that on. They're probably just tuning me out, because I'm an idiot. (laughs) Um, But uh, I wish people kind of knew those stories. Because again, that's the kind of stuff that matters, right? And especially as this is, um, if we want to kind of go this next step, which is cannabis being a medicine that we use to, you know, people use to Uh, cannabis to treat all sorts of things it's pretty important that it's like the real strain right if you're looking for a specific strain that helps you for something you want to know that it's the real thing
1: yeah definitely especially when you're in a legal market where there is that availability of things or theoretical availability of course I I highly agree I mean I remember talking to Duke in Colorado and he was saying that the the real deal train wreck is good for people with bladder incontinence you know it helps them Gain, gain control over their bladder, and firstly, I was like, "Well, that's that's such a specific and peculiar thing to note that this is good for." But for the person who's looking for that, like they need that, and if they get something else, it's almost certain it wouldn't help them with that function. And so, yeah, I can agree, man. From a medicinal level, it's like it's like you walk into a pharmacy with a script for something, and they give you something else. Like, right. that doesn't help no one.
0: Totally. Um, well, before I go off too much on that tangent. Um, kind of looking out into the future of the podcast, um, and growing the podcast, do you, are you kind of stay the course and, you know, keep lining up these awesome interviews and that's going to be how you think, um, this is going to grow, or do you think you're going to have to throw in some new things are there any sort of ideas or things that you've noticed lately that you might throw out there?
1: Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I have I guess the short answer would be it's going to be a bit of both. Um, obviously, trying to remain true to the aspects of the show that people enjoyed. But there's certainly going to be some, some new things coming in the works. Traditionally, I've only really had people on the show. I think the one exception would be Jeremy of Buildersoil. But I've traditionally only had people on the show who are breeders themselves. And because that's kind of been the focal point of the show. Um, However, it's now at the point where we have enough, how shall you say, street cred, that there are some other people who are interested in coming on the show who don't fit that particular narrative of being a breeder, but would have some really, really, really valuable stuff to say. So. Um, for example, you know, I've been really, really grateful to have been able to foster a close friendship with Josh and Kelly of Dragonfly Earth Medicine. And they've, um, you know, introduced me to a wide range of people who I think would be amazing guests. Like they're, they're very close with Bob Snodgrass, you know, the guy who is the forefather of a lot of different glass apparatuses. He's often credited as the guy who invented the glass bong. So, to have like a huge figure like that in the scene, be willing to possibly come on the show, you know, things like that, I think will add a bit of a different dimension. Um, and, you know, maybe some of the the viewers who are looking for that strict breeder knowledge will be a little less interested in that type of episode, I understand. But there's a, there's a wide range of people who aren't your typical breeders, who I think still would have some really valuable things to add. Cause you know, I mean that, that guy has been in the scene for, you know, 30, 40 years now, minimum. So he's seen stuff happen. So from a historical point of view, phenomenal guests. So I think, yeah, I'll be looking to incorporate some new aspects in things as well as trying to stay true to some of the original things which people, you know, fell in love with the show because of.
0: So would you, do you think when you started the show, was the scope that wide? Um, because at this point, you're basically, you're pulling out a little bit, right? And in, in, in terms of scope, you're widening it by saying, I'm, I'm not just like, collecting the the spoken word stories of this particular part of the cannabis culture being breeding and really collecting this awesome genealogy, you know, history and all this, all the amazing stories behind it. Now you're pulling back even farther into other aspects of cannabis culture. Was that something that you always had in mind or is now that something where you've you've seen that as your opportunity and you want to go take it?
1: Yeah, I think more the latter, really. I never I never planned on branching out because I kind of felt like this was kind of the avenue I wanted to pursue for the moment, being the breeding side of things. And it was really just when the opportunity presented itself, you know, and I was able to meet, uh, you know, various people, like being able to meet Trixie Garcia and Mountain Girl and Bob Snodgrass and thinking some of these people would be really good right. on the show, like they've, they've got a story to tell. So I think that it was more of like a opportunity presents itself type of thing. But I think people should also be forward thinking. But as you said, you know, like when you do take that zoom out in scope, you've always got to be mindful of not spreading yourself too thin or deviating too far away from your central theme, which was probably a central appeal to a lot of people you know there's there's certain people out there who are growers or amateur breeders and that's what they want to hear about and they might not be too fussed about hearing about some other things so you've just got to be careful but like you know jerry garcia is such a focal part of the cannabis history and the law that i think a lot of people who are really hardcore fans of things would probably want to hear some of that type of stuff anyway so Yeah. yeah i think it's just about having an intimate knowledge or an intimate idea of what is relevant and what's not, and just allowing that to guide you a bit.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting conversation, especially with uh, your show and and that particular example, right? Where um, as someone I'm myself, I'm in my early thirties, so I'm too young to have, you know, experienced all the, the heady days of, um, of the early kind of cannabis scene where Jerry Garcia was a a key figure, right? And a a key, everything that his band did and and kind of transporting cannabis culture around the country and really keeping it alive. That was extremely important. That's a common theme that comes out in a lot of those stories. So telling Jerry Garcia's story or interviewing people in that orbit, I think would be of of value because it helps flesh out the larger story and like the larger con context, context, sorry. But, you know, when you started the show, you probably weren't like, you know, I need to try to interview a drummer for a big band or whatever, you know, that's probably not within the scope. And, um, I guess to get to a question here besides my side commentary. So when you're, um, when you're kind of branching out in different directions of the podcast and the kind of the scope of people that you're interviewing, um, there are so many different people that can add interesting context and interesting story stories to the cannabis culture scene that you're, you know, you're collecting and adding to. Um, how are you going to decide like how far out you go? Yeah, I think it'll be a process go, of kind of like real time um, feedback and
1: just seeing if people are enjoying it. I've always it'll probably you know what to be honest, it'll probably be if I enjoy it. That's always been the case, you know. Like I feel like I've got a pretty good feeling for. If I enjoy an episode, if I feel like it's gone well, tends to go well. You know, the episodes that I've felt the most confident in tend to be the ones that get really good feedback. So I think that there's an intrinsic sort of like, I'm a diehard cannabis fan. I've enjoyed this. I'm pretty sure others of like-mindedness will be the same. But it's, I think it's just a real-time feedback thing. You know, you kind of sense checking constantly with your viewership in terms of like just looking at the analytics, looking at the views, yeah. looking at the comments. Um, are people enjoying it?
0: So... Uh, throughout this conversation, you know, we've we've highlighted the importance of your guests in building the audience and building the credibility of the show and, and helping you uh, book future guests. So um, what kind of insights could you share about the process that you go through in, in selecting the guests and, and booking people and everything like that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's a lot of factors at play, and I think that there's a lot of pitfalls you could potentially fall into. I think the first thing I'd say off the bat is don't look to have someone on the show just because they've got a big following. Make sure that it's truly relevant. Like, obviously, someone who has a big following could help, But it needs to be really relevant and it needs to be like especially if they contact you. This is something I'm really starting to notice myself is I'm starting to have a lot of people contact me asking if they can come on the show. And often these are people totally outside the field who I would normally consider. And sometimes you will look at these people and they've contacted you. So, you're like, okay, you know, I'll have a quick look at them, see if maybe they're a good fit. And you'll look into it and... They may be established or have a decent following in a certain regard, but it's outside of the context you're looking to deal with. So, often I'll have people like CEOs or, um, you know, directors of cannabis companies around the states that are just starting to kind of get a bit of momentum behind them who want to come on the show, but it's totally left of field in terms of like Guess I would normally have and it would it would seem very clunky and very much like forcibly inserted and it's it's kind of the thing which I feel like would be a huge pitfall to do would be you know to get uh you know, someone on the show, like, I'll just give you a hypothetical. This hasn't happened, obviously, but let's just say like, you know, Seth Rogan wants to start promoting his house plant range even right. more. So he hits us up and he's like, can I come on the show? On face value, you'd be like, oh, Seth Rogan! Hell yeah, that's a huge name. That's going to be amazing. And, you know, to be honest, maybe I would consider doing it, but at the same time, it's very much not the type of thing that's the standard of the podcast And as to how much they could actually speak about topics that we commonly talk about on the podcast or things that are considered relevant by the audience, it would probably be a bit hit and miss. And so, like I remembered a few weeks back, uh, remember how that Coke the guy who's like one of the owners of Coke got caught on like his jet with like a thousand cameras
0: to Cuba or some shit. I forget what it was, but yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he, his marketing guy hit me up and was like, Oh, would you be interested in having him on the show? And I was kind of like, nah, it doesn't really fit the show's style. He's not the type of guest that would come on the show. He's coming at this more from like a, he's an investor trying to get into it all and that's not really the type of guest we have on the show. And thankfully, um, the Adam Dunn show ended up having him on and that was a great move because that is more the type of show where someone like that could go on it and tell their story. And it was good because I did want to hear his story and so thankfully I was able to hear that through the Adam Dunn show. But it was one of those situations where it seemed like it might be a good decision because it's like, oh, this is an interesting person. They've got like a bit of notoriety. It might be good for numbers. But at my heart, I knew that it just wasn't a good decision. And I think that you really need to be true to yourself. And if, if the person who's coming on the show isn't someone you'd normally have, they're not someone who you're personally excited to talk about or you didn't like have any questions for them before that. Like for example, before they contacted me, I had no questions for that guy. It's not like I had an itching question I wanted to ask him. Sure enough, I could come up with some, but it wasn't someone I was looking to have on the show before they reached out. So I think that's an important thing because what you'll find is is with all these states coming online in terms of legalities, there's heaps of businesses that are hiring marketing companies to reach out to podcasts. And so, you will, even yourself, Sam, you'll start to have people messaging you being like, can I get on the show? And really, you're helping them. They're not helping you. And I think that that's the distinction. All of my guests have helped me. Of course, you know, I've tried to help them, but you don't want to have a guest on the show where you're just helping them. Like They need to bring some value add to you. And if you're just essentially doing an extended advertisement for them by having them on the show... The audience will likely pick up on that and it doesn't come across as authentic as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, and I think it's um in terms of any sort of community, um, or in this case like a listener listenership, it's really hard to take that people on like a sharp Um, you know, 90 degree left or right turn, right? In terms of content or whatever, people are going to be like, well, what the fuck is this? And like, maybe you could, maybe you could come up with like if with the Seth Rogen example, for example, maybe you could come up with a way where you interviewed a couple of these guys at like an Emerald cup um, show or something. It was just real quick interviews. Maybe you could like kind of come up with a format that maybe made sense on like a one-off, but you're right. If you were to do a full on show where you're interviewing Seth Rogen that would just not really fit with the the theme and the kind of vibe that you've created with your show and what your listeners are going to be used to. And I think they would really just kind of be taken aback if it all of a sudden took that direction.
1: Yeah, of course. And just as like a side note, not to say that you could never do something like that because I wouldn't want people to be pigeonholed, but like this actually relates back to the question we were on before this one. But what I've actually been considering is when I was talking about, you know, having Bob Snodgrass or Trixie Garcia or some of these more uh, people who don't fit the the general mold of the show is I've actually thought about using the podcast to be an overarching brand name and starting a sub-series which is about non-breeder type people. And that's a way you could do it, where you could be like, hey right. guys, this is the podcast, but we're actually doing a new sub-series. This is going to be on people who blah, blah, blah. And that could be a way to do it, to try to differentiate this episode from the more conventional ones. And by doing so, you're kind of staying true to people and letting them know that it's not just business as usual. And there's the totally the possibility to do that, you know? Like, I mean... The most notable example is like joe rogan you know he had so many episodes of people from a martial arts background coming on the show that he was like "Fuck it i'm going to start the mma joe rogan show and the mma people will go into that and then the more general guests will just stay on the jre experience. right and, d-
0: and he does and- it all on the same feed right and it's just about labeling up front is, is that how you would uh kind of approach it with the podcast Do you think you would have those same episodes in the same feed but just labeled differently
1: yeah, exactly. So people know before they click it, whether they're interested in this or not. And I think that that's a way in which you don't need to feel like you're pigeonholed into a certain subject while staying true to the audience base.
0: Interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time, Heavy Days. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for um, indulging me and our audience here. How how can folks find you? How um, can folks follow your stuff? Share, share your deets, man.
1: Uh, thank you for having me on my friend i've i've likewise enjoyed our conversation i think that if anyone wants to find me you can check out heavy days on instagram uh, as well as the podcast um hopefully they're they're reasonably easy to find if not i haven't done a good enough job and other than that you know thanks for listening in thanks for everyone who listens to my show regularly i appreciate you guys And, um, as evident by this interview, big shout out to Duke Diamond and Skunk VA. I'll, I'll always say that, you know, I owe those guys the world. So thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it greatly.
0: That's really cool, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you later. And that's a wrap on this first episode of the Bloom Booster Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to follow Cannabuzz on Instagram. It's at getcannabuzz. You can follow me on Instagram. Instagram. I'm at QGrows, And uh, as always, make sure to check out cannabis. That's uh, We're the presenters of this podcast. We're a cannabis social network for you if you want to find a safe place where you can connect with other people that are passionate about cannabis and you don't have to worry about your content being taken down or whatever it may be. Check out Cannabis. Go to cannabas.app or search Cannabis in the iTunes and Android stores. Um, But thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in the next one. See you guys.